Philippians. This is the end, the conclusion of our series on spring cleaning. Have you cleaned your house, your car, your lawn? Yeah, yeah. I still haven't got to the car yet, but I'll take care of the car on Tuesday. Still have my snow tires on the car, okay? So I'm a bit cheap and uh, just wait until, you know, the rubber just is almost gone, right? No, I'm not, I'm, I'm kidding. But um, we, clean our, we clean our homes, we clean our cars, we fix our lawns, we do all of this. What, what do we do with our attitude when springtime comes? And sometimes we need to take an inventory and say, all right, well, how am I doing on the inside? And uh, in, my, in my personal, you know, the way I treat people, uh, the way that my attitude is, sometimes we need to do that. And the one of the best books in the New Testament about this is the book of Philippians. So we've basically gone through every chapter in Philippians in little pieces and parts. Uh, in week one, we learned that attitude is a choice. And the author of this letter, Paul, he, his choice was to rejoice and to have joy, even though he's writing the thing from prison. Uh, we talked about a couple of ingredients there in chapter one. Community was a vital ingredient for him and perspective where for him, uh, Christ was priority all the time in his life. In, in uh, chapter 2, we talked about uni unity is not uniformity. Remember, um, rivalry opposes God, self-glory opposes God, and there's a real attitude there of humility in chapter 2. And Paul gives a few examples, uh, Jesus himself, Timothy, and uh, his friend Epaphroditus, right? And then last week we talked about, or two weeks ago, we talked about uh, what is the goal of Christianity and from just a section of chapter three uh, that, that growth in this life is, is the goal that you never attain until the end, right? And you got to keep growing and you got to keep being stretched and you got to keep having some resistance in your life if you're going to grow. We talked about some of the barriers to that, too much comfort, a lack of courage and living in carnality. And we looked at some characters from the Old Testament for each of those, right? So today we're going to do chapter 4, and we're going to do it a little bit differently. I'm going to ask you to open your Bible, novel thought, right? So if you have a Bible, open it. If you have it on your phone, turn your phone on. I don't care if your phone rings. It doesn't matter to me at all as long as you're getting something useful out of it, even if you have a Blackberry. Amen. So go ahead and turn on your phone or you open your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. This is the conclusion of this letter where the dominant running theme in it, the string that makes its way all through all four chapters, is this idea of joy. And rejoicing, and he's going to wind it up here, and he talks about rejoicing in this chapter, uh, of course, and there's a famous passage we'll get to in a minute. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that theme of joy and show you from this chapter uh, five, I'll call them spiritual disciplines that uh, produce joy. I know we don't like that term, spiritual disciplines. That just means that you're learning a skill and you start to discipline yourself with that skill, and it happens to be spiritual. And you will see in this chapter, and really in the whole letter, that these kinds of things produce joy, and they have a connection uh, with joy, all right? So I'm going to give you five of them. Uh, number one, be Christocentric, or sometimes we say Christocentric in, in theology. Some of you don't know 
what that word means, but the idea is that you put Jesus at the center in, in your attitude, uh, in the way that you view life. So uh, you have a phrase here in chapter 4, sometimes it says, in the Lord, sometimes it says, the Lord is near, referring to Jesus, uh, the God of peace be with you, that God is with you, that God is present, uh, that you're in the Lord. Uh, so verse 1, um, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord. Again, this is a Christocentric idea. Uh, verse 2, I, I appeal to these two ladies, we'll get to them in a minute, to agree with each other in the Lord. There's that phrase again. Uh, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Verse 5, uh, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Um, verse 7, uh, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's the idea again. Verse 9, uh, the God of peace be with you. Verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Verse 19, uh, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And verse 21 uh, greet the saints in Christ Jesus. You see that phrase over and over and over again. In practical terms, uh, be Christocentric as opposed to being anthropocentric. Fancy word which means man-centered. So in the chapter before, you have Paul challenging these people to watch out uh, and he uses very, very um, harsh language. Uh, but he says in chapter 3, uh, watch out for those dogs, he says, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Say, what in the world is he talking about there? And he goes at length to argue that putting confidence in the flesh and in the ideas of man in an anthropocentric way, to use that term, is, is a wrong way to go. So you have this, this group of people, and they followed Paul to many places where he went, he, even as far as Philippi. And they follow him, and they basically challenge what he is saying to the people. And they say, listen, you must be circumcised in order to follow your, your, your Jesus. So you have to do things in the law, the Old Testament law, in order to follow Jesus. It's not just following Jesus. Paul is wrong. You must do all of these other things as well. And uh, this Paul opposed. Now, he uses this term in, in the beginning of chapter 3, and he talks about those dogs, uh, the mutilators of the flesh. This is, he's, he's being very sarcastic. So Jewish people would call non-Jewish people back in that day, they would call them dogs. Uh, very derogatory term, but this is a way that often Jews refer to Gentiles. They call them dogs. And so Paul is flipping the tables, and he's saying, no, these people here who are trying to get everybody to be circumcised. And, you know, if you're a man, that means you need to have surgery in order to follow Jesus. Okay, I won't get into the details, but I'm sure the men in the room, you, you know what I'm talking about. And so he's saying, no, no, these people here who are trying to make you do all this, these are the dogs. And these are the mutilators of the flesh. He's being very, very sarcastic. And he says, listen, we glory in Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh. That's anthropocentric. 
to use today's terms. You've got to be Christocentric and focused on Christ. All that stuff, all that law and all that ceremony, that's all a prefiguring up to the point of Jesus. And this is who we put our confidence in. There's a diagram on the screen there. Uh, I forget who came up with it. Uh, years ago, and you have this this throne inside of a person's heart. You know that's the chair, and you can either put self on that chair, or you can put Jesus on that chair. And when self is on the chair, you see that Jesus, represented by the cross, is outside of the circle. And this is the person who experiences life without the presence of the Spirit. This is before a person receives Christ. And then they step across the line of faith, you see in the diagram. And then Christ is on the throne. And so self takes the bottom seat there. And this person experiences life with the Spirit of God. Well, you take that even further and even in the even in the church people can sometimes get anthropocentric when the church becomes an organization and not an organism not a living community but an organization where you you know you have the structure and you have the people who you know are in charge of this and in charge of this and you have the people who want control and you have people who you know they're large and in charge and it all turns into just a big organization. And the, the organization, in a sense, is everything. It's all about the organization. It's all about the machine. It's all about the, keeping the cogs going. And, you know, and the, this is defined as church. And the community part is lost. And the organizational part takes front and center. That's a Christocentric, or sorry, an anthropocentric way of running churches. This isn't the way that Jesus wants it run. He wants it run around himself. So be Christocentric if you want joy uh, in your life. Number two, be united. And now you have here in chapter 4 and verse 2 a curious verse that pops up kind of out of nowhere. And he says this. He says, I plead uh, with you, Odia, and I plead with, the way you pronounce her name is Suntuke, uh, to agree with one another in the Lord. I plead with these two ladies to agree with one another. Yes, and I ask you, uh, in some translations it'll say loyal yoke fellow, in others it'll say a name, Zizigus, which means the same thing. Help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Help these women. I plead with these women these two ladies, to agree with one another, to get along, to be united. I mean, number one, he cites women in the letter. The first century Greco-Roman you know, culture, he's writing the letter from Rome, and he's writing it to Philippi, and, and he says this about these two ladies. I don't know what was going on with these two ladies, but there appears to have been a harsh disagreement of sorts that he actually puts in a letter, not saying what the problem is, and he seems to be asking for the assistance of this other person to try and help the two ladies. Have you ever seen two men disagree? Have you ever seen two ladies disagree? How many of you know that the way men and women disagree with one another looks slightly different? 
How many of you know that? Some of you are laughing, right? So when you have two men who disagree strongly with one another, usually there's this moment of kind of catharsis where the two men get together and they deal with the thing. And, you know, sometimes it may get a little physical. Sometimes it may get a little loud. But there's like a confrontation that will happen. And then after it's all over, you know, they just they're back to normal again. In, in many cases, this is the way that it works with men, right? Uh, we have a sport that, that you know, r- runs this all the time. It's called hockey, right? And when, when you see these, you know, and they, they air it out and they, it's, you know, they move on and, and life goes on and, you, you know, they may be the best of friends afterward. Um, but how many of you know that when ladies disagree, it, there's a bit of a difference? Now, I don't mean to be stereotypical, Uh, But there is a bit of a difference, I find. It can be a lot more complex. It can be a lot more dramatic. And it can take longer to resolve the issue. Sometimes it can take years and years to resolve the issue. And, you know, you have a a device. uh, I'm speaking metaphorically, but it's a knife. And you have another thing. It's a back. And sometimes the knife goes in the, in the back, and sometimes it, go, it gets twisted around a little bit. But I'm, so I'm speaking metaphorically, you understand. And so you have these kinds of things. Now, have you ever seen two men fight in church? And have you ever seen two women fight in church? Now, in a church setting, it gets even more nasty sometimes. I've discovered that some church fights... Uh, that happen and some strong disagreements that happen sometimes they're even nastier in the community of faith than they are out in the pagan world if i just may say so having dealt with many of them on many occasions i'm almost embarrassed sometimes when i look at the things that christians disagree with with one another about and then i i don't want to let my non-christian friend know this you know because he would look and he would say you are the you're supposed to be the ones who know the truth and you all behave like that right so anyway but there's a there's an argument that's happening here let me tell you what's common uh whether it's men who are fighting or whether it's women that are fighting usually the temptation and i speak more from the context of the church uh uh because that's where most of my experience is but uh or at least of late Uh, usually what happens is everything possible is done except the two get together to fix the problem. So, okay, let's put the problem on Facebook. Let's call, let's pick up the, the phone or, or call or email the pastor. Let's, let's get somebody else to involved in this whole thing right away. Uh, and, and that's the right way of doing it. Instead of the two parties trying to figure out a way to fix the thing and to be united, sometimes that that may not work, mind you, but most of the time there can be some resolve, yes? And so that seems to be the thing that's done last. What we want to do first is enlarge the circle uh, rather than just deal with the thing between the two of you. You know, Jesus talked about this in the context of sin. If brother sins against you, you go, you show your brother his fault. If your brother doesn't agree with it, well, you, then you start enlarging the circle. You take two or more people with you. Then you enlarge the circle even more and get the circle bigger if you can't get this person to realize their sin. 
Now, I know that when people disagree with one another, they always say, well, you're the sinner, right? And they always think that the other person isn't. And, but if, even if we're not talking about sin, it's a, still a good principle. Deal with the thing just between the two of you. Now, here, this thing apparently was so contentious that he's asking for the help of one individual, a man, uh, to try and get in here. But he's pleading with these two ladies, agree with one another. Try and find a way to agree with each other in the Lord. Again, a Christocentric idea there because this, the thread of joy is attached to this uh, in being united. Number three, be praying. Um, be praying. So uh, verses uh, four, five, and six. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. It's an amazing verse. Do you know how much anxiety that people have today? We're anxious about everything. <laughs> we have anxiety about everything. And it seems like today, especially in the realm of politics and who's in charge of, I don't know why it's always the United States of America, but there seems to be so much anxiety because of these leaders, you know, even the, the election in France. Wow, there was a lot of anxiety about this uh, because some people saw parallels to the U.S. with the different leadership choices. And, you know, then we had here in Canada, we had a candidate who may have who may well have gotten elected, who was also, you know, controversial figure. And he pulled out of the race for the conservative leadership, leadership. anxiety, anxiety, anxious about money. We're anxious about who's in charge. We're anxious about all these kinds of things. I tell you what I'm anxious about is potholes. Potholes really give me a lot of anxiety, okay? Uh, I love the lit up bridge, the Jacques Cartier Bridge, really nice, beautiful. But, you know, I did not drive to the presentation because I did not want my car to get ruined by potholes along the way, okay? But I'm just being a little bit facetious. Do not be anxious about everything, but, about anything, but in everything, by prayer and by petition, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We see it again. Be praying. By prayer and by petition, present your request to God. What requests? Any requests. If you've got the wrong request, well, God will steer you in the right way. If your motive is bad, well, he'll, he'll work on that with you. But bring those things which create anxiety in your life to God. Whatever those things may be, bring them to God. Well, how many times do I have to bring them to God? Just once. I know some people like that. He said, well, I only, have to, only should pray about it once because if I pray about it more than once, I'm not showing faith. Well, it, it, can we sustain this in the Bible? What did Jesus say? He said, ask, seek, knock, Jesus said in uh, Matthew 7. So have you ever knocked on a door before? How many of you went like this, knock, and walked away? When you knock, you knock on the door. Hey, I know you're in there. Answer me. Knock, 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 knock. When you seek, you don't just, oh, well, I don't see it. You know, there was a, a, a lady in our church who lost her keys a number of weeks ago, her car keys. 
And we sought and sought and sought for those keys. And we could not find those miserable keys no matter how much we sought. But we had the, the, the people from Cineplex in here seeking, seeking, seeking for those keys. We couldn't find the keys. Two weeks later, they found the keys, right? And Cineplex found them. I don't know where, you know. I, I, I almost believe they stole them. It just seemed so strange. But we sought and sought and sought for those keys until we couldn't, we couldn't find them. And we had to find another solution so that this, this lady and her four kids could, could get home, you know. And, and seek. When you seek, you keep seeking. When you knock, you keep knocking. When you ask, you keep asking until you've got no more anxiety about it. This is what God wants you to do. Whatever the thing is, present your request to God. You know the story that Jesus told of this, this widow uh, in first century Middle East culture. If you were a widow, you're in trouble. No one to look after you. And you've got this story that he tells of this widow, and she has an adversary. We don't know what the adversary was doing to her. Maybe he was trying to take money from her. We don't know what it was, but she has this adversary. And she goes and she finds this judge. Uh, he's not a good judge. He's a, he's a corrupt judge. And she goes and she finds this judge, and she says, you've got to deal with this adversary who's bothering me, who's doing this to me, whatever he's doing. And this judge is not a godly judge. It's an ungodly, unjust judge, we're told by Jesus. And yet this woman, she keeps going to this judge over and over and over again. And she says, grant me justice against this, this, this adversary. He is a pain. He's ruining my life. He's done this, this, this to me. Grant me justice. And the judge, leave me alone, leave me alone. And she keeps going after this judge over and over and over and over again until she wears him out. And he says, ah, because she's so persistent, I will see that she gets justice and gets it quickly. And Jesus uses it as an illustration. And he says, look, this is an unjust judge. Do you not think that God, who is just, is going to answer you when you, when you are persistent and when you ask him? So how much should you pray for the thing? Until you get an answer. Until you don't have any more anxiety about it. I don't care if it takes years and years and years. You keep doing it. This is what God wants to see. By prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And again, you'll have that thread of joy that starts coming into your life. Rather than having anxiety, you'll have joy. Uh, next one, be thinking. Be thinking. So uh, verse 8. Uh, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about these things. We did a whole series here um, called A Beautiful Mind where we were talking about just that. What are you thinking? And if you're thinking things that are constantly opposed to God, how do you think you're going to have joy in your life? And many, many Christians if you were to peer into what's going on up here in between their ears, say, whoa, there's like some, there's some dark stuff floating around in your head. There are some ungodly things that are just, you're meditating on ungodliness all the time. And you expect to have joy? You've got to change what you're thinking about. You've got to fill your brain with stuff that is on God's side, if I may say it that way. Uh, get your mind centered on him. And the best way of doing that ultimately is to get your nose in this book 
and to, to start to read it and start to experience it and start to apply it to your life. And you do that on your own. You do that independently. You do that uh, you and God. But you also do that in the context of community. You learn better in the context of community. That's why we have things like small groups, because that's how people learn and grow together. Be thinking about things that are, uh, that are of God. And you will have that joy start to penetrate your life. But be aware of what you are thinking about. And lastly, be giving. Be giving. So there's two passages that we quote all the time uh, from Philippians. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I mean, I love that passage. I can do all things. And another one, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. Yes. But when you read the context of those two verses, those verses have to do with the idea of generosity. They have to do with the idea of sustenance, provision, giving, receiving money in today's language. Uh, that's what they have to do with. So you look at uh, verse 10 and onward. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, and you had no, but you had no opportunity to show it. So he's writing to his friends in Philippi a long way away from his Roman imprisonment. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, Paul says. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. So I've experienced both, he's saying. I know what it is to be poor in today's terms, and I know what it means to be wealthy in today's terms. I know both situations. I know what it is. I have learned the secret, he says, of being content in every situation, um, whether I'm well-fed or whether I am hungry, whether I'm living in plenty, or whether I'm living in want, I can do uh, everything through him who gives me strength. So what is the everything? Well, I can face the moments where I have need, and I can face the moments where I don't have the need. I can do those things through Christ who gives me strength. All of us in our lives... We can relate to this. We have moments where we, ha we are in need. And this, is, this, in today's terms, would be need of basic, basic things. He's talking about the basics. He mentions food here, the basic provision, basic sustenance of life. All of us have had moments where we say, you know what? I'm in need. And, you know, even the Christians who say, oh, no, 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 I'm never in need, I'm never in need. Yes, they know that they're in need sometimes. <laughs> and we have those moments where, well, everything is going great. Well, you've got to learn the secret of being content in both of those situations. And Paul, he says, I have learned that because I can do everything through him who gives me the strength to do it. I can face the moments of poverty. I can face the moments of prosperity. I can handle both of them. In our culture, we don't seem to handle both of those well at all. When we're impoverished, we panic. And when we have a lot, we want more. There's a family in our church. He's not here today. Uh, and uh, he has a, a, a home, a second home in guess where? Rigo. And his home is essentially underwater. And he's in the process 
of trying to, you know, fix the home. And he built the home himself as a second home. My wife and I have been there. Beautiful little home right on the edge of water. And the water came and the water swallowed his home. I mean, there's so much water, he told me, that the deck of his home, he had to rope to the trees of the woods because his deck was going to float away like a pontoon, in his own words. And I was amazed talking to this fellow because he was so calm when he was talking to me. On the phone, we've spoken several times. He hasn't been here for a few weeks because of Rigo. And he says, you know, my family's okay my kids are okay. My wife is okay. We'll rebuild it. God is in control. God is sovereign. What are you going to do? It's a house. It's bricks and mortar. What? In the end, it's not worth anything in the end anyway. You know, I said, wow, that's a good attitude. That's a good attitude to have. That, that fellow has learned a little bit about the secret of having plenty and secret of having want He's learned and he's able to adjust and take it all in stride, you see. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles, you Philippians. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me. Not one in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Wow, not one church. For even when I was in Thessalonica, a church that he is very positive about, if you read the letters to the Thessalonians, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Implication, the Thessalonians didn't give me anything. But you Philippians sent it to me even when I was in Thessalonica. You're a church that understands about giving and receiving. Not, not, the other ones don't seem to. It's very bold, Paul, in what he's saying. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what, what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied. Now that I receive from Epaphroditus, we met him before, the gifts you have sent. Uh, they, they sent Epaphroditus from Philippi to Rome with some kind of gifts for Paul. Probably food, clothing, things like that. They are a fragrant offering, note that word offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So there's a bit of a condition there. It's not, you can't just say, oh, my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. I never give to God, never give to God's work. Never generous, but God will meet all my needs according to his riches and glory. No, no, there's a context here. The idea this church was generous. This church looked after Paul needs, Paul's needs even though they were far away from him. Even the Thessalonians did not apparently, but the Philippians, they did. And Paul says, in return, my God is going to meet all of your needs. doesn't say what those needs are, but it's as if there's a kind of an economy. You practice generosity, and you will see in the long run, you will see God's generosity to you. It doesn't mean you give to get. You don't give to get. I like to say you give to give. Usually people who give like to give. God gives them more, and they give more. They're a giving machine. They just keep on giving. They're the gift that keeps on giving. Last night, I was over at the, the food bank in Brossard. They had a special event there. 
Uh, they set the whole place up like it uh, looked like this place, actually. And they had uh, worship and musicians come in and really lead in worship in front of all kinds of people, Christians, non-Christians, about 200 people there. And the director of the mission, Stéphane Plant, he got up and he told, he told the story of how the mission got started. He essentially gave it his testimony in front of all these people. I was stunned to hear of the miraculous provision of God. It was so inspiring to hear. I mean, he's had people give tens of thousands of dollars. When they went to buy that building on Provence, they had no money to put a down payment on the building. They ended up raising all kinds of money. People would give them money without even knowing. One person gave 630 grand to help them buy this building. I said that correctly, $630,000. Miraculous provision. And there are people who give and they love to give and they give and God gives them more and they keep giving. They're the gift that keeps giving. When you're generous with a kingdom mindset, you will see that God is going to, in the long run, you'll see he will supply your needs. And ultimately, he will give you joy. Why do I mention this? Because, and why do I take the offering at the end? Ha ha. Because we're going to practice that uh, today as a church. There is a story that is brewing uh, in the world that is not often uh, uh, talked about at all on the news. We seem more concerned with North America than we do with anywhere else, it appears. Uh, but in the continent of Africa, in particular in what they call the Horn of Africa, which you'll see uh, on the screen there, um, there is a crisis that is brewing, uh, a very severe uh, crisis, and it's because there hasn't been a proper water there for months and months and months on end, uh, and there's a drought. And when you have that in, in that part of the world, you have huge, huge risk that starts to build. And you have an enormous risk of famine. I'm reading from a letter from uh, David Wells, the general superintendent of the PAOC. And he says, the food crisis uh, uh, across parts of the Horn of Africa has worsened, expanding to a larger geographical area and impacting more people. The result is that there are more people facing famine in the world today than at any other time in modern history. We are calling on our churches, he says, and ministry partners to pray for the 20 million people across South Sudan, Yemen, Nigeria, and Somalia currently suffering from severe hunger and in some cases famine. There is a great danger that on its current course, the global response to this crisis will be hugely inadequate and will lead to unimaginable suffering and death, which still can be averted with timely intervention. So what's going on now with uh, ERDO, Emergency Re uh, Relief and Development Overseas, which has a connection to our fellowship, but is also one of the top 25 charities in Canada, uh, they are raising money and having money sent directly there. And the Canadian Food Grains Bank is matching donations four to one. So if you give five bucks, they're going to give 20, and that makes 25. And that, that, that could do amazing things uh, in this part of the world. And so I want to practice a little bit of generosity here 
and, and uh, uh, have you give beyond what you would normally give to the, the running of this church. On, our, on your envelopes, you're going to see there's a ministry fund that runs everything we do here inside, if you will. And there's a hope fund that does everything on the outside. We don't, we don't benefit from any of that. So that's for things overseas, that's for our missionaries, that's for things that we might do in the city, like you know, blessing the food bank with money or something like that. Uh, but in this case, we want to do something for this horrendous crisis that is building uh, in the Horn of Africa. This is uh, uh, practicing generosity. And uh, if you want to, to give something using an envelope, just where it says uh, a hope fund there, just write Africa there. And what I'll do is we'll collect all of it and I'll make one lump sum donation to Erdo. The Canadian Food Grains Bank is going to match it four to one. Amazing that they have those kinds of resources. And that can make an impact. You can also visit Erdo's website, erdo.ca. Uh, for more info about this, they'll give you more detail, more story. You want to give again, you can give directly to them that way. But I thought it would be wonderful for us as a community of faith uh, to practice a little bit of generosity, even while we're running the, running the operation, as it were, here at home. We still need to think about people around the world and widen our view uh, of life a little bit. All of these things contribute to joy. All of these disciplines have, have that commonness and uh, an attachment to the thread of joy that we see in uh, Paul's letter. Would you come uh, to, the, to the stage, the musicians, if you would, and uh, we're going to close the service by um, uh, that song, I think it was Hosanna, uh, that you kicked off with. That would be a wonderful end to the service. And I'd like the, the people with the baskets, as they call them, to get ready uh, to receive the offering. And I'm going to pray, and uh, then we'll take up the offering. Is Shirley around? Ah, oh, there she is. I didn't see you. I'm sorry. And uh, I'm going to pray and let you give. You can give outside on the, uh, the square. Uh, if you're using a, a credit card, you can give on our website as well. If you just go to our website, cityreachbrossard.com, click the Give button. It will take you straight to PayPal. And uh, if you want it to go to the Horn of Africa, just in the memo line, put Africa there, and it will go there as well. Okay, Father, we thank you for the, this wonderful letter that we have, a 2,000-year-old letter to this church that teaches us so many things uh, about attitude. And Lord, uh, we pray uh, that you would help us to take stock and take inventory of our lives and see the things that we need to work on, the things we need to change, that our attitude would be that of Christ. Uh, Lord, that the way that we interact with people, the way that we live our lives, the way that we even give, uh, Lord, would just be saturated with Christ. For, as Paul said, uh, to live is Christ and to die even is gain. Teach us those principles, we pray. We pray you'd use this, this tithe, this offering for the extension of your wonderful kingdom. Lord, we pray for those thousands of miles away in that area we call the Horn of Africa. And God, we pray for your mercy. God, we pray for your grace. We pray that there be 
there would be just just huge amounts of money that would be raised. But God, we pray for some type of break in that weather. We pray for the for the the rain to come. Oh God, so many are getting so, so desperate there and so many at risk. So God, we pray you would have mercy. We pray you would have grace and that you would provide through whatever means we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give, you can stand.